an article and it was kind of talking about the importance really of awe in our life, how awe is so important, how awe puts our life in perspective, how awe kind of helps us all get along a little better in community and makes us more empathetic. Here's a couple of quotes if I can find them here today. Um, University of Pennsylvania researchers defined awe as the emotion of self-transcendence, a feeling of admiration and elevation in the face of something greater than self. Uh, a popular theoretical physicist wrote, awe gives you an existential shock. You realize that you are hardwired to be a little selfish, but you are also dependent on something bigger than yourself. Being enraptured is a way to remove the tyranny of ego. Uh, of ego. Um, Social scientists have found that when people experience a sense of awe, they feel more empathetic and more connected with others. One scientist concluded, wonder pulls us together, a counterforce to all that seems to be tearing us apart. The Wharton School of Business evaluated the New York Times' most emailed articles and found that the ones that evoked awe were the most shared. It's not about you from psychology today, and it's, it's not hard to understand how a sense of awe can have a powerful, positive impact on our life, and, and, and we realize we aren't the center of the universe, and we, we do see ourselves as being quite small. The question I was thinking of as we get into this this morning, um, really, really, would be the question of this, is um, just seeing the importance in, of having the sense of awe, but, but where do we go to build that sense of awe? Where do we build this sense of awe? And you can read an article and you can have all these secular uh, ideas on what it takes to build awe in your life and why awe is important and all that. But, but really, where do we go to build a sense of awe? And those of us who know Christ, we should hopefully all know there's one, only one source, really, to, one place to go to develop a sense of awe in your life, and that's to the one true God. And there are a lot of things that bring us awe. We can watch, we can watch uh, some great piece of artwork that can bring us awe. We can go out into creation and nature and see one of the wonders of the world, and it can bring us awe. We can listen to some, uh, somebody play a, a great piece on the piano, and it can bring us awe, watching some three- and four-year-olds play the piano, and it's like, it's like, wow, you know, it just gives you a sense of awe that they're able to do that at such, such a young age. But all of those things should point us where? Back to the one true God, the creator of everything. The one who is the source of everything, and that's where our sense of awe really should come from. This morning, I want to start a new series that will take us through Egypt where we're going to talk about uh, bowing down and looking up. And it's this concept of prayer, and it's the concept of how worship really, uh, really saturates, really impacts our prayer life and, and how those two forces kind of come together. And um, this morning, we're going to look at one of the most iconic prayers within the Scripture, and that's the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go there this morning and look at it just in, in one Sunday and just kind of get some, some broad overview from the Lord's Prayer and what it can show us about this idea of prayer. But here's our big idea today, um, bowing down and looking up two forces, and it's like we're going in two different directions, and yet together they really work together in great harmony and will lead us to an incredible prayer life and so here's our big idea real simple i think it's it's really it just really resonated with me the higher we exalt god the deeper our prayers will go the higher we exalt god the deeper our prayers will go there's just something to this and if you want a deeper more profound prayer life i believe it really starts with exalting god the more we exalt God in our life, in our thoughts, in our actions, and yes, in our worship, the deeper we will find our prayers go and the greater our joy will 
be. In fact, you can come to the point in your life where you start to, like Jesus, pray for things that you would not normally pray for. When you start to pray for the things you wouldn't normally pray for, then you know your prayers are getting pretty deep and pretty intense. This morning, the, the sermon title this morning is really simple. It's just this, why we pray. And we're going to look in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, it's the Lord's Prayer, the verses that precede it. In fact, we will start right there. And, and let's just start here, and I want to show you three foundational ideas here about prayer. Then we'll transition into the prayer itself. But here's what Jesus told the disciples. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for, where, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. There is so much in there, and we will delve into some of this, but as we approach this passage, there, there's almost like a dichotomy. That, do you ever catch this? Where, where he says, okay, don't heap up empty phrases, or the King James says, don't you know, give, us, give out vain repetitions. It's like, and then he turns around and says, and here's a prayer you can pray. And then people go around and we, we memorize the prayer and we recite it. Um, that's kind of a denominational thing, I suppose. Some churches, they recite the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Some every, on occasion, we hardly ever recite it here. It doesn't seem to cross our mind that much. Um, but, but, but the reality is, it's, it's, is it a contradictory thing there? Don't pray like this, and then here's a prayer that you can pray just like that. Well, let me walk you through three insights, I think, that will help us appreciate this prayer a little more. First, there is uh, some context here. There is the hidden significance of the Lord's Prayer. There, there is the hidden significance of the Lord's Prayer that most people just really miss out on. And here's the reality. When Jesus was on earth, he was always talking about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so there is this kingdom promised to the Jewish people, a thousand-year millennial kingdom. Eventually, it, it, will, it, will, it will just fade into an eternal kingdom. But there is this thousand-year kingdom on earth. And so he was always teaching and preaching and telling them to look for this kingdom. Well, actually, what precedes that kingdom? Do you know? Well, before that kingdom comes, you and I, we're raptured away. We're taken to heaven. The church is taken off. We're, we're kind of like, we're called the resistance in some senses because we kind of, we kind of push back on, uh, on the enemy. And when we're taken away, when the church is taken away and there's no believers on the earth, then the, then the Antichrist rises up. The Antichrist rises up and he begins to rule over this earth and things get really, really... You think it's bad now, you won't want to be around during the tribulation period. And you can see some of that if you read various parts of the Bible. So there's this tribulation period that comes in. And in the tribulation period, listen, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you can't buy, you can't sell. You know, what are you going to eat? I mean, you're constantly being chased down by the Antichrist government that's out to get you under constant uh, threat. Um, and so here's the reality of this prayer that most people miss. This prayer is really intended for the tribulation period in its most literal application. They will pray this. Lord, today, you need to feed me because I can't buy any food. Lord, you need to protect me because I'm under great threat. And, and the elements of this prayer take on their deepest meaning when you're in that time frame. It's really paralleled kind of when Israelites left Egypt 
And God fed them miraculously in the wilderness with the manna. And in the same way, they'll have to be miraculously fed, miraculously protected, miraculously delivered through this seven years. It will be a really intense time on the earth. So that's, that's the most literal application when it really takes on its greatest meaning. But what about today? What's the, what's the importance of the Lord's Prayer for us today? Well, it has a great importance for us today. It can show us some of the elements. And we can go through this and have done this in the past, gone through the Lord's Prayer and broken down the different elements of prayer. What are the things when we pray that we should ask for? Because there's a sense there where Jesus is saying, when you pray, here's some of the things you need to pray for. And we're going to look at this in a minute. We're going to look at three big things. The Lord's Prayer can teach us about our prayer life that is so profound. But so the Lord's Prayer, think about this. Um, the Lord's Prayer ultimately is God's inspired word. So we think about the Lord's Prayer and we memorize it and we recite it and we quote it. And, um, but, but think about this. You're quoting, you're, you're, you're memorizing, you're reciting Scripture every time you recite the Lord's Prayer. What does Scripture do? Scripture edifies us. Scripture builds us up. Scripture encourages us. And as I was thinking about the prayer this week, I was thinking how much hope there is in this prayer. How, how much beauty there is in this prayer, how much power, how much worship, how much praise is contained in this little simple prayer. That yes, it has a very literal application for those going through the tribulation period, but for you and I today, there are some real insights into our own prayer life. And we are actually, when we memorize it, memorizing scripture, and we are uh, uttering scripture uh, back to the Lord and really to ourselves to encourage us. That takes us to the last uh, insight here and I think this one is, is really significant and I think really interesting. In a world where almost everyone prays, we need to ask ourselves, why do I pray? Did you ever notice that almost everybody in the world today prays? I mean, even people that really have no spiritual interest at all, they'll pray. You get on Facebook and, and someone's got a crisis and they Put out to all the friends, hey, will you pray for me? Yeah, I'm going through this issue. Or someone says, will you pray for me? And all kinds of people, I'll pray for you, I'll pray. People that have really no spiritual interest and, and really never, really are involved in the church and wouldn't even probably call themselves Christians. But everybody prays. There's something instinctive within us where we all are just compelled to pray. And in the context here, he identifies a couple of people. He calls out a couple of people for their prayers. He calls out the Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people, they pray to impress others. Of course, that's their history. You know their story. If you read through the Gospels, they always did. They, they wore their, the, the religious leaders, I should say, wore their religion uh, all over themselves. Literally, they, they, were, they put boxes on their shoulders and on their foreheads, you know, with scriptures in it. And they went around showing how spiritual they were. And so they prayed to impress others. And Jesus said, yeah, don't pray to impress others. That, that doesn't work. The Gentiles, what was their problem? Well, they prayed to impress God. And they had all these fancy phrases and big words and lofty, lofty thoughts and ideas that they would throw out and, and probably they memorized these things that they would say over and over. And, and it really reminds me of the Jews require a sign and the Gentiles are all about wisdom. And you kind of see that even in this context here. The Jews had the outward sign of how spiritual they were and the Gentiles were all about how smart and how wise they were in their prayers. And God says, yeah, that, that doesn't cut it with me. That's not what I'm looking for. He wants us to pray with a genuine heart. It just comes down to a genuine heart when you pray. 
And so he tells them, you know, go into the closet, shut the door, get alone with me, pray, talk to me. And um, just three foundational things there when we think about the Lord's Prayer. God wants us to pray with a genuine heart, a humble spirit and a genuine heart of worship. And the reality is the more we exalt the Lord in our life and in our prayers, the deeper our prayers are going to go. You know, you think about what most people pray for today. Most people, a lot of people kind of treat God like a vending machine, really. You know, it's just kind of like they put their prayer in and they want something back from God. Um, Their prayers are very much on the surface. And there is a point, and I said this earlier, there's a point where we can begin to pray for the things that God would want us to pray for, not just what we want to pray for. And that's a pretty, I've been there, it's pretty intense when you start getting to the point when God starts Uh, putting things on your heart saying I want you to pray for this and you're like I don't want to pray for that I don't want to ask for that because I know what that's like God says no I want you to ask for that and 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 God keeps prodding you to pray certain things so let's look at the the Lord's prayer then the heart of it five verses and three reasons why we pray what are the three reasons in here that we can pull out that we can say this is why we need to pray um Let's read this together. Why don't we read this together on the screen? And we'll do it off the screen because some of you have it memorized, but you have it memorized in different translations. So let's read it. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I love that last line. That's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. I love the majesty of that last line. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Why do we pray? I, I, love, um, I, I love what D.L. Moody said in response here. He said, I'd rather be able to be a great preacher, I mean, a great prayer than a great preacher because Jesus never taught the disciples how to preach. He taught them how to pray. I think that's really profound. It really is profound. We need to really be about this thing called prayer. So why do we pray? Three reasons why we pray, and um, they're, they're, they're pretty simple reasons, but they're all together pretty powerful we pray because of the greatness um okay we're missing a phrase we pray because of the greatness of our god somehow uh one of the slides is missing we pray because of the greatness of our god we pray because of the greatness of our god you know ultimately i believe we can get to a place where we can really want to pray you ever feel like ah i should have prayed today oh i need to pray more you ever feel a little guilty i should pray more than i do and i just don't pray enough um, I think there's a couple things there. I think sometimes if we really stopped, because I did this in my own life, and you stop and you think, you know, I think I pray more than I think I do because I, I, I just talk to God so much, you know. So, But there is a thing of getting just alone away in the closet, like you said, closing the door and praying to the Lord. And the, the reality is when you think about this here, um, uh, we can get to a place where we really want to pray. Now, one of the reasons we pray is because of the greatness of our God. This prayer by Jesus, it begins and ends with the greatness and glory of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and then it ends for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, and sandwiched in between is everything else. But it starts and ends with the glory and the greatness of God. So we see the greatness of God in this passage first through the exaltation of his name. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And there's something about our prayer that should exalt the name of God, that should invoke the name of God. It gave me an idea, and I'll talk about this more in a minute, but what if we prayed the name of God a little more in our prayers? I mean, the specific names of God. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but here's the thing, and we've talked about the name of God before, but let me walk through some of his different names and in kind of a different way here for a moment. Um, in, in the Bible, Elohim, means God. This is one of the references to God. Now Elohim can refer to just God, small g in general, but we see this in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. It is a plural, uh, plural Hebrew word, and we see within there the context of the Trinity. But there's Elohim. Referring to one God in three people. El is another term in the Bible for God. We see this. Now, El also is a generic term for God that you can find for all kinds of gods, small g. But when it's we're speaking to God, you'll see it will be accompanied with other aspects to his name. With his, it'll be with his personal name or it will be attached with some clarifiers. For instance, El Shaddai, God Almighty. We know that is speaking directly of the one true God. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. This is when God came to Abraham and said, you're going you're gonna to be a father and your wife's going to have a baby. And, and Sarah's like 100 years old and, and it's like, whoa. And so there we see the term. Another example was 12 years earlier because God had told Abraham, and Sarah, that they would be parents, and 12 years later, the promise hadn't come, and so what did they do? But, of course, Abraham uh, and Sarah decided, well, you should go have a baby with the handmaiden, Hagar, and they did have a baby with the handmaiden, Hagar, and God said, that wasn't the baby I promised you. And the next, next thing you know, that Sarah and Hagar are at odds, and so Sarah basically fires her handmaiden, kicks her out, and she's wandering around in the desert, and we see the name El Roi here, the God who sees. So she called the name of the Lord, Hagar did, uh, the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And this is Yahweh Roi, uh, or El Roi, I should say. There, there's the Lord, his personal name, Yahweh. And then you are a God of seeing, El Roi, the God who sees. And so we see this throughout scripture. There's a handful of, of, of terms like this that describe God. Adonai is another one. Again, this can, can refer to anybody who's a lord. It refers to King David as a lord. So there are all kinds of lords. But it does refer to the one who is lord of lords, the one who is lord of the earth. Joshua 3.11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and it's not capitalized because that's not his personal name. Uh, that's Adonai, the covenant of the Lord of, of all the earth is passing over before you into Jordan, another aspect of his name. But the one we are most familiar with is Yahweh, the self-existent, eternal God, the great I Am. We've talked about this many times. Back in Exodus, when God comes to Moses and calls Moses to go lead the people out of Egypt, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So 
there's the personal name of God. And this too, as we've talked about, is combined. It is combined with other terms to come up with several names. But there it is again back in Genesis 17, 1, where we see the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. So you, three, you see both the Lord and El, both of those terms used there. Anyway, Yahweh Bor, the Lord Creator, Yahweh Oz, the Lord our strength, Yahweh Makadeshim, the Lord our sanctifier, El Chul, God who gave you birth, El Elyon, God Most High. In the scripture, God is, is de- defined by these names because you think, you know, you get those names in the Hebrew, but there are names throughout the New Testament as well. Some of these are Old Testament still. Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, Bright and Morning Star, Day Spring on High, the Cornerstone, the Mediator, Redeemer. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. King of kings, Lord of lords, Lion of Judah, Lamb of God, my deliverer, my fortress, and my rock. And this is why I say God is like the God of a hundred names. And here's the practical application again, is that whatever you're going through right now, take the biggest issue in your life, the biggest challenge, the biggest struggle, I can guarantee you 100% there is a name in the Bible that will speak specifically to what you're going through right now. This is why it is so important to know God and to know Him by His name. And I've got something cool I'll show you in a minute that we're going to do uh, with this uh, as we leave here today. But just, just an idea there. The greatness of God is seen in the richness of His name. Oh, we have a great God. There's no God like Him. I'm telling you, there's other gods, but they don't have 100 names. They don't have 100 names. So just, just know that. And the greatness of God is also seen then in the proclamation of his kingdom. And so in the Lord's Prayer, he says, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done, for yours is the glory and the power and the kingdom. There, there's a kingdom. He, picture it this way, if you will, with me. So God created the heavens and the earth and put Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And along came Satan, and, and Satan is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What did Satan immediately do? He came and he stole the innocence of Adam and Eve. He killed them spiritually, and he destroyed God's creation. Right off the bat, that's what Satan does. And this world has been in a, in a wreck ever since. And the tribulation period is going to come, and it's going to get really ugly on the earth. But after the tribulation period, there is a kingdom coming. When the lion will lay down with the lamb. There's a kingdom coming when there will be justice and truth and righteousness and glory. Just, just It's going to be incredible. Now the truth is, honestly, we're not going to be here. Because we get raptured away. We're in heaven. So we get a front row seat in heaven watching this usher in. I've heard different theories on this. Some think we come back, we're the body of Christ. We come back with Christ when he comes down to the kingdom. I have to research that out more. But um, I heard somebody, I've heard that recently. But it's just fascinating. Well, this front row seat of watching what's taking place on the earth as God's kingdom is ushered in. And we see the greatness of God when he sets everything right on earth. And eventually one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And the greatness of God is displayed. It's just, it's just an incredible, an amazing, an amazing Why do we pray? We pray because of the greatness of our God that is seen in his name and that is seen in his kingdom. 
when you think about the kingdom, think that everything will be reversed. Everything wrong in the world will be reversed. Where there is hate, there will be love. Where there is fear, there will be security and confidence. Where there is worry, there will be peace. Where there is sorrow, there will be joy. Where there is division, there will be unity. And justice and righteousness and humility and peace and purpose will reign. The curse is broken, the cross is exalted, and Christ sits on the throne. Wow, amazing. So why do we pray? We pray because of the greatness of God. God is so great. He deserves our prayer. Our prayer is an act of worship. And the more that we worship and exalt Him in prayer, the deeper our prayers are going to go. Second reason we pray is because of the depth of our need. Because of the depth of our need. And if you just read through the, the Lord's Prayer, you'll, you'll get the idea that the idea behind the Lord's Prayer is that we're pretty needy. We really are in great need of God. We need this great God that rules over us. In fact, we need it more than we, when we realize we do. Think about this. We talk about Him being the God of creation, right? Think about how, seriously, we need Him more than we really often consider. Let me give you one passage here. Colossians 1. 15, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And think about that reality. We saw that, we, we saw that uh, sign, that, that video at the beginning, right, with those suns. You know, the reality is we need the God who holds this universe together. We saw all the picture of the universe and all those suns, and it kind of puts the things in a little bit of perspective for us. I mean, we are just on this little, small, tiny, little flea out there. I mean, we're so, you can't even see us when you get out to some of those suns. Did you know this? The sun is 93 million to 95 million miles away from the sun depending on the time of year. And if we move just a few million miles one way or the other, we would burn up or we would freeze. We don't have to move very far when you think about it. The moon is likewise perfectly placed. You know, it is the exact distance from the earth. And if it wasn't where it exactly is, the ocean tides would basically cover the earth twice a day. The moon is just, and we're tilted at like 23 degrees. We're tilted at just the right angle as well. In fact, if the ocean floors were just a few feet deeper, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance would be upset and no plant and animal life could exist. Which, of course, we couldn't exist. If there's no plant or animals, what are we going to eat, you know? So I don't think we'd exist either. In fact, science has always been baffled by how an electron is it right? A proton and a neutron, how they exist, or I, I get this confused all the time. But anyway, you know, the proton, neutron, electron, you know, they, the negative and positive charge should just explode in an atom, but it doesn't. And, and science, they may have tried to say they came up with an answer for that, but the truth is, it really does defy science. But it doesn't defy scripture, because the Bible tells us that Christ holds all things together. He literally does. He holds this world together. That's just the reality. And so we need this God who can hold this whole world together. And I was thinking this week again about the whole issue of global warming. I really got to thinking about that. And, and I, I try not to be too strong-minded about it. Or, or, but here's the reality. When you talk about us being able to destroy the world, who's that an attack on? 
The one who holds all things together. And yes, if the world's going through climate change, we talked about this before, it's going to. The Bible says it will. The closer we get to the tribulation, it's going to go through some really extreme changes in our climate. But there is one that holds it all together and one that will create a new heavens and a new earth. We don't need to move to the moon or to the Mars. God has this all figured out for us. He does. We need this God who can hold the universe together. But here's the good news. If he can hold the universe together, you know what? He can hold your life together. And we need the God who can hold our lives together. And we are so needy and we are so dependent upon God. And we need him who can hold everything together in our life, no matter what the devil, no matter what the enemy, no matter what this world throws at us. And if you read through the text here, just look at the language in the text here. Listen to what he says. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. I bet you all of us could today could look at those four things and we could circle one and say, today I need God to provide me with something. I need God to, to remind me that I'm forgiven of something. I need God to lead me. I need God to deliver me from something. I bet you all of us could pick, choose one, at least one, if not more than one, and say, that's what I need today from you, Lord. The Lord's Prayer shows us the depth of our need and there is this great God that can simply hold our lives together. Think about it this way. Back in the Garden of Eden, and we were talking about this a little bit in Sunday school class a couple weeks ago, but this, is, this so gets past us. God created Adam and Eve, right? And, and he created Adam, and Adam was incomplete until he made Eve, and then Eve completed Adam. And so there's this idea that, that Adam needed Eve, right? And without Eve, he'd be incomplete, which is true. What we often don't think about is that God also made Adam to need the Lord. And without, he, yes, Adam was perfect, made in God's image, but he still needed the Lord. Without the Lord, take the Lord away from Adam, Adam would be incomplete. God made him as a human to need to be in relationship with God. That's why God walked in the garden with him every day. They needed that. We were built to need God. And so when, of course, they sinned and when they died spiritually, when they were separated from God, that was a serious issue because they were incomplete. We need the Lord. We need to get alone in the room in our closet and, and pray and talk to We need God. We certainly need the Lord. And so we don't often think about that. That's the simple reality. We were, we were created uh, where we were incomplete without God. That if God was taken out of us, we would not be a complete person. And there are a lot of incomplete people walking around today. Their spirits are dead. They don't know Christ. They are lost. And their life is incomplete. And there is something they're just missing out on in this world. The, the reality is as well that we can't be all we're supposed to be without prayer. We can't be all we're supposed to be without God and, and I'm going to get this in my relationship with God through prayer. So I can't be the husband. We can't be the husbands or wives we need to be without Christ. We can't be the parents we need to be without Christ. We can't make wise decisions as parents without Christ. We can't carry out God's will for ourselves or our family or our church without Christ. I can't be the pastor I need to be without Christ. We need Christ and the reason we pray is because of the depth of our need. We are needy people. And every day we're like, Lord, today, give me, forgive me, lead me, deliver me. Every day I am so needy, so desperately needy on God. Heard a great illustration recently. End of, end of a football game, you know, and you're down 
you know, by a touchdown. And what do they do at the end of a football game? You're down by a touchdown. What, 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 do you, what, do you, what, do you, what play do you pull out? It's called the Hail Mary. Ever, ever heard of the Hail Mary, right? And it's the last play of the game, and you just go back and throw it in the air, and it's a Hail Mary. It's kind of like you're just throwing up a prayer. Just hoping that, that your team will catch it and get a touchdown. And it's really interesting because that's not the way we should live our life. We don't live our life where we try and we work and we do everything we can, everything we can, and then when it all falls apart and when it all goes to pod and nothing works out, then we throw up a Hail Mary prayer to God and say, well, can you get me out of this jam? No, we need a prayer. Every day we are dependent on God. We are praying constantly, all the time. That's how we're gonna win the game of life, by constantly praying and praying and praying and praying. And of course, it's not a good analogy. We don't want to pray to Mary. That's not, that's not good theology. We don't pray to Mary. We pray to God. But there is that picture in football today of the Hail Mary. The reality is we need him. We need his grace. We need his peace. We need his wisdom, his strength, his hope, his love. We need all of this. Pastor and author David Platt has a great observation about our lack of prayer. He says, he says this, that... Um, if, if, pray, if I pray because I need God, then if I don't pray, if I don't pray, then I'm saying, I don't need God. If I don't pray, I don't need you. And he says, prayerlessness is really an expression of pride. Ouch, that can kind of sting, you know, but it's true. That if I really don't pray, I'm like, I got this, God. I got it. I can handle it. And, and we live our lives that way so often and then when it all falls apart, then we go back and we, we throw up the Hail Mary prayer. And that's not the way we want to live life. We don't want to get so busy and so distracted and so preoccupied we forget to pray. And that happens to us all the time. And we can get busy and distracted and preoccupied with good things, with noble things, with doing the, doing the things for the church and, and, and doing things for community service and a lot of good things can take our eyes off of prayer. We need to pray. Let me just give you one passage here. And I was, uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. But, but think about this. We pray because, oh, okay. Me, I don't have it on the screen. Philippians 4, 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer will supply you with the peace you need. There is a peace that you will not find anywhere else but in prayer. You will not find th this peace. You're not going to find it walking through nature. You're not going to find it by doing yoga. You're not going to find it if you win the lottery. There's only one place you're going to find this peace. If you get down on your knees with a prince of peace and talk to him about your life. That's the simple reality. And you can go on there in Philippians chapter 4 and here's what it says. Not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, there is a strength you're only going to find in prayer. You're not going to find it working out at the gym. You're not going to find it, in, you know, by reading certain books. Uh, you're just, there's a strength you're going to find for life. There's an emotional, there's a physiological, there's a mental, uh, there's a physical, there's a spiritual strength. You're only going to find it when you connect with God in prayer. 
I cannot live the life God has called me to live and accomplish what he calls me to accomplish without his strength. Here, is, here are Abraham Lincoln's thoughts on the matter. I love this. Here's what he said. I have been driven many times, said Abraham Lincoln, to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. What an attitude. Uh, what an attitude that we all need to have. This gave me the idea. What if we prayed the names of God more? Think about that. What if we prayed the specific names of God more? What about, what if in the times of my darkness I prayed to the light of the world? What if in our times of spiritual attack we prayed to the Lord our fortress or the Lord our defender? What if in our times of loneliness we prayed to Yahweh Shama, the Lord is there, or El Roi, the God who sees? What if in our time of questioning we prayed to the God of wisdom or El Dea, the God of knowledge? What if we prayed the specific names of prayer when we went through a certain season of life and a certain challenge and we said, Lord, I'm in darkness right now. I just feel consumed with darkness. Lord, light of the world, illuminate my way. What if we just prayed in that sort of personal sense? We pray because of the greatness of God and we pray because of the depth of our need. We pray to exalt God and to humble ourselves. And that takes us to this last reason. We pray because of the longing of our heart. We pray because of the longing of our heart. And here's what he says. He says, our Father in heaven. Pray like this. He says, pray, our Father in heaven. Our Father who are in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Now here's the point. There's a sense where we pray because we can. Because we have the right to pray. We have the freedom to go boldly into the throne of grace. We have the right to pray because God is our Father. Now think about this. Um, There's been all kinds of studies that have basically proven this. That, that, That children, they want their dad. That children want their dad in the home. That children want their dad around. That children want to connect with their dad. That there's something about just the desire to be with their dad. Now, there are, ex- there are exceptions to this. If you've got a dad who's, you know, abusive and destructive, and yeah, you might not want to be around him. But, but, you know, just a good, normal, everyday dad. Boys, girls, sons and daughters, they want to be with their dad. They long to be with their dad. I'm just going to tell you, I'll let you know a secret. God is your father and you're wired to want to be with him. And there is something that's just going to be missing in your life if you're not connecting with your father. If you're just not getting alone in the closet and talking to him. There's just something in your life that's going to be lacking. There is a longing in our heart to spend time with our father in prayer. It is that simple. I'm missing a couple of pages here. Um, We pray. Think about this. We pray because we can. And so think about two things here I need you to see. Our Our greatest need is intimacy. Okay? Think about it. We've talked about how needy we are. Our greatest need is intimacy. And here's what he says. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Wow. Our greatest need is to get alone with God. That's our deepest need. It's intimacy with the Father. And we need to get alone with Him and shut the door and spend time with Him. And you know, well, we'll think about this one. We'll go on to the next one here. Our deepest desire is Dad. 
all of the desires we have in our life, our deepest desire really is to connect with our spiritual father, to connect with God the Father, and, and just, just to connect with him and just to talk with him. And it's interesting because it says here, think about the, the implications of this line. What does it say to you? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now think about that a minute, right? You, you read that and you think, okay, so I, I need to pray because I got all these great needs in my life, right? But then it says your father knows what you need before you ask him. So, hello, <laughs> why do I need to pray? <laughs> God knows what I need. I mean, really, seriously, I'm busy. Why do, I need to, why do you need to pray? Because you need to connect with your dad. Because your deepest desire, your deepest longing is to connect with your father. Because intimacy is your greatest need. And you know, sometimes I think we, we think we have these needs. So we have, we've done, I've got these needs in my life right now. We could list our needs. And we're so consumed by these needs. And so what we do is we finally take those needs and we finally get away and we get alone and we talk with God. And you know what we find out? That those really weren't needs. My real need was, I just needed to get alone with God. And when I got alone with God, all those things that I thought were needs were like, yeah, you know, they're not that big. Because he just puts it all in perspective. Because he just, he's just, the more I exalt him, the deeper my prayers go. And then what happens is I begin to pray these much deeper, deeper, deeper prayers. And the things that I thought were so important that I needed to pray about kind of get fade into oblivion as I pray about things that are more significant. Let me leave you with this verse. So there is the thief again who comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I thought about that idea of abundant life. And, and so Christ comes and gives us his life. We're, we're saved and we have life. We have new life in Christ, but we have it in, in abundance. What's abundance mean? Well, if I've, got, if I've got some donuts up here, you know, I got a few donuts. If I have an, an abundance of donuts, I got enough donuts I can share. I got a lot of donuts. I got more donuts than I need. And to have an abundance of the life of Christ. I think that says something. But how do I get an abundance? See, I can have the life of Christ, but how do I have an abundance of his life? And I was thinking about this too. That, you know, I've illustrated before, you know, like you, you take a pitcher and you pour water into like a vase or a, a cup, you know, and you pour until it overflows and there's the abundant life. And we look at the abundant life and we think the abundant life is, oh, my relationships are, are all in a good place and, you know, finances are okay and there really aren't any problems and everything's going well and we think that's the abundant life. That's not the abundant life. You know, the abundant life is the stuff that's a lot deeper. Like if I were to say to you, uh, the Apostle Paul, did the Apostle Paul have an abundant life? Did he know the abundant life? Probably more than we do. And he went through all kinds of trouble and turmoil and suffering. And yet we read earlier that he knew the secret to being content in all of those circumstances. He had the abundant life, the abundant life that is so much deeper. And those are the things that work, are worked into our life. As we exalt God, as we lift up God, those things are worked into our life in a much deeper level. The abundant life is that I've got more than enough of Christ to handle anything that comes my way, to handle any adversity, to handle any circumstance, to handle any challenge, to handle any relationship, to handle any problem. There's just more than enough of Christ. I have more than enough grace and mercy and forgiveness and joy and hope that Satan can't steal it, that Satan can't destroy it, that Satan can't do anything about where I'm at in life. It's because I am filled 
with Christ. Wow. So why do we pray? We pray because the greatness of God, because of the depth of our need, and because of the longing of our heart. We long to simply get away and pray with God. And if we spend some time with Him, we'll find out that the things we thought were really important maybe aren't as important. And what we really needed the whole time was just to get alone with Him. Here's what I'm going to challenge us to do. We're going to be spending the next uh, probably 40 days, six weeks doing this leading into Easter. And I put together um, these cards right here. 40 days. There's, there's 40 names of God on here. I'm going to challenge you to take one of these home and I'm going to challenge you. You can, you can start right in, in, in uh, a row. Yahweh bore the Lord creator. You can just start there and go through these one each day. Or you can look through them and say, today I want to pray this name. And Every day as you go and spend time with prayer, I want you to pull out uh, this card and just pray for one of the names of God. Attach that to your prayer. And just work it into your prayer in some way and exalt God. Lift Him up and exalt Him as you pray. And as you do that, He will take your prayer life so much deeper. It'll be so much richer. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for showing up and being here today. Thank you that you are the God who is present. You are the God who sees. You are the God of a hundred names. You are the God who speaks to us from your word. You are the word. That is your name. Thank you, Lord for all that you are, for all that you're going to do this week, for all that you did last week, for the hope that you instill us in. And Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And everyone said, Amen.